Mini episode 1215 of the FDA Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at Sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. The one thing I want to ask you about, and you, you were very high on some of the signings made thus far, the one thing, and again, I don't want to be a smart mark here, pinching pennies in certain areas or whatever, uh, the very generous contract given to Austin Hooper, uh, who you know certainly in this offense, as you pointed out, could play up to that point in time there. I look at somebody that they had on a bargain well, deal. Uh-huh. Well, Hooper is not the best. You know, he's not the highest paid tight end. He is not the best tight end in the game. Right. He, he's probably the seventh best tight end in the game. I would agree with that. Uh, right place, uh, right time, though. Right, but that's what happens when you when you have to go through free agency to get sure. quality, right? I mean, you just you overpay. We all know it, and that's not a you know that's not just the Browns. That's everybody. Okay. Uh, so, um, I do think that Hooper's skill set fits what Stefanski wants to do. Um, there might there could be other tight ends that would be even better, but I think what was available that they looked out on the landscape in terms of free agency and the draft and said, Hooper is the best option at what we want to do. Okay. Uh, so let's go out and get it. Well, I, I think that's the approach that they're taking is like, okay, we need to fix a spot. Um, and who's our best option for what we want to do? And he said that, so they went out and got him. And I mean, and I, you know, kudos to them for doing it. Is Hooper the best tight end in the league? No. Brown fans shouldn't think that. No. Is he a fit for what they want to do? Yes. Is he going to have a good year in this offense? Yes. Well, one of the things here, one of the great recurring motifs in the history of the show, almost such that people take a shot uh, every time this happens, is when you tell me that I'm overthinking something. And you may do that again here, so get ready to pour out your, uh, your whiskey glasses uh, here, folks in case this is the case, but um, I'm looking at it like a tight end who went to Kansas City on the cheap. And, and again, if Kansas City wants you for their offense, what does that say about what they think you can do? Actually came right from Cleveland, Ricky Seals-Jones. One of the things, one of the few things that really tickled me last year was there are a few people that I've seen better than, yeah, you know, when you're on an offense that is loaded with skill talent, albeit underachieving skill talent aside from Nick Chubb, the ability to just tiptoe out there, get wide open, and make plays, he did that on a number of different occasions where it was just like nobody's focused on him, he gets open, boom, nice play down the field. Like, that's a guy that they just let walk. Am I overthinking it here for, for thinking that maybe that should have been an option at tight end? Well, I would have been, I actually would have been in favor of keeping him. Mm -hmm. um, but we also don't know, we don't know if he wanted to stay. That's true. Know, you know, they've gone and they've, they've signed Hooper. They've still got Njoku they haven't moved off of yet. Um, they might give Njoku. Njoku's a guy that may get a, 
a, another chance right. in his last year of his contract. Hopefully. And my guess is, unless you get something, you know, my, my, my advice would be to this regime, is unless you get something really worthwhile for David Njoku, you should just keep him around for another year. Yes. I mean, I, I mean it, there's no, I mean, if, if anything, just for the context next, you know, in the following season, uh, when he leaves. Um, so there's just no reason to, to, to move him out, I think, at this point. I would agree. It does Cooper is not a great blocking tight end, and neither is a Joku, so you're still going to have to address that. Right. Uh, so my guess is that Seals Jones was more of a, if we're going to keep Joku and we've signed Cooper, there's probably not a real space for him. They might have even kind of liked him. And Seals Jones might have just said, you know what, there's no real place for me. Uh, That's possible. So, you know, so it was just sort of a, an acceptance of, well, we've got Hooper, we've got Joku, you know, you might be our fourth, you know, because we're going to need the blocking time, you may be our fourth option now. Um, and it's, sometimes it just works out that way. Um, you know, unless you're basically going to say, well, Seals Jones, you're going to become our Hooper, and you're prepared to commit to that. That's what I'm asking. That's what I'm asking. Am I, over, am I overthinking it by asking if that should have been an option? Uh, I think it's an, I think it's the option that comes about if you can't get Hooper. Okay. Uh, and and I think you'd rather have Hooper than Seals Jones. So my guess is that that's kind of how that worked out. And, well, uh, and so and sometimes just sometimes you do lose guys you like just because of you have to make other choices. And now I suspect that that's what's happened here. Well, there there are financial, of course, considerations and everything in the salary cap era. Uh, they did upgrade, of course, at right tackle as well, which was about the most impactful thing that they could have done uh, at that point in free agency. Uh, the way you look at it now, left tackle still needs to be uh, upgraded in the draft, likely will in the first round. The interior of the line as well, whether it be for depth or for some additional players there. The secondary, especially safety. Linebacker to me is a big, fat, effing wasteland, which I kind of don't understand as far as just waving bye-bye to everybody. But... Uh, so there's definitely some areas that they need to address, but presuming that we get a left tackle in there for this year, and probably in the first round, uh, I know you've said it to me off air. Uh, I'm going to put you on the spot on air for a real clip and save. I know you think in this offense that Nick Chubb is capable of 2,000 yards from scrimmage. He is. Um, it's, this is a blocking scheme. fits his fun style uh, perfectly. I mean... Again, back to having a staff and personnel aligning in terms of scheme and personnel, I think is something that they're doing very well. And, and Stefanski's the, the run game and the 12-man personnel and and the zone blocking scheme is going to fit Nick Chubb like uh, like a glove. Um, it's it, it it's going to be uh, something to see. Uh, and I'm really excited about it. And I, the other great thing is you talk about fit, Jack Conkle, mm-hmm. right tackle. What he does best in this blocking scheme is run blocking. Where does Nick Chubb prefer to run to? The right side. They went out and got a right tackle who excels at run blocking in his own blocking scheme um, on the side of the line that Nick Chubb prefers to run to. 
I'm telling you, Nick Chubb is capable of 2,000 yards rushing this year. 100% capable of it. Awesome. Will it happen? Probably won't because of the hunt factor, which is a great problem to have. Right. Um, I think, you know, they're going to use Kareem Hunt uh, on a lot of short passes, swing outs. Um, I think he's going to spell Nick a lot. Um, and, and I think that's what will keep Nick from getting 2,000 yards. He'll be more like, he'll probably be more like 1,300 yards because when it's all said and done, um, you know, they're just, they're going to have so many weapons and options. I mean, you've got, uh, Landry and OBJ um, on the outside, Cooper and Joku. Um, you're going to have Hunt. I mean, he, 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 fuck. I mean, this offense on paper is as loaded as any in NFL, period. Stop. Full stop. Right. Um, and I think that's the only thing that keeps Nick Chubb from reaching 2,000 yards. Because I think the scheme fits his run style perfectly. I think the addition of Jack Conklin fits what, what Nick Chubb needs on that line to be even more successful than he was last year. And and I think it's just the fact that they're going to have so many offensive weapons that, you know, and then you throw in the cream hunt factor to spell him and to take a lot of that load off will be the reason he doesn't get to 2,000. But, well, um, yeah. If there were less options in this offense, I think you could literally book it if you run for 2,000. And that's incredible uh, to say, yeah, and again, from your lips to God's ears on something like that. And looking at this here, the one thing about the draft that uh, had been a little bit of a notion that I think we are pretty close to shooting down at this point, uh, I, I referenced uh, previously uh, lounge dignitary Ron Glasnap. There was a conversation the other night, uh, nice, nice little fun Zoom thing with a couple of us uh, lounge dignitaries, uh, Ron Glasnap, Dave Adams, my pals from Reality Check back at the old Sports Talk Network, the, one of the prototype shows for this show, actually, and uh, also Lounge Dignitary Johnny Adams, Dave's brother. So the four of us doing a little Zoom chat here, inevitably talk turns to the Browns, and I think we pretty much have all agreed on what I've been dubious of all along, the notion of, what if Isaiah Simmons is there at 10? When in the recent history of the NFL, even when teams are fixated on quarterbacks or need or whatever in the top 10 is a guy who looks like a consensus multiple-time pro bowl player at whatever position dropping to 10. I don't see it. I don't think they'll be in that conundrum. I think especially given the, the aforementioned wasteland they have at linebacker, what I would advocate is you take him at 10 and you take some of the draft capital you have, even if it's into the future, and you try and trade up into the first round to get another left tackle. That's how I would do it. But A, do you, do you think, like I do, there's no chance that Simmons drops to 10? And B, what would you do if he is a 10? Wow, I love this topic. Because now you're getting into the, uh, the meat of this entire uh, episode that, we're, that we've been working up to. Is what happens, uh, what are the Browns going to do in this draft, um, starting with number 10? I do I agree with you that it's unlikely that Simmons makes it to 10. Um, I think there are too many of us that could use him, whether you're the Giants, or the Panthers, or, or even the, the Cardinals, 
I mean, there are there's so many places he can go before Jacksonville, even potentially. Um, although I think less likely with the money they spent on Schober. Um, but so there are like four places Simmons could go before. He, but here's the but: why I think it's a one in five chance he gets to ten. Um, all those teams have other huge needs. I, the Giants have got to get a tackle, right? Whether it's they put they, either they draft somebody like uh, Jedrick Wills and put him at right tackle this year and prepare to move him to left tackle in 21, um, they need to protect their quarterback. So they love Simmons. I believe, I believe the Giants love Simmons. But they're, they're in that conundrum of they've got to protect their quarterback. They've got to protect Jones. And, you, and this is such a tackle-rich draft. I think, you, you know, if you're the Giants, it's the choices that are going to happen that would allow Simmons to drop to the Browns, you could see scenarios play out where these teams have to pick the bigger need with that first pick. Mm-hmm. which would then drop into the Browns. And if that ha- if he drops to the Browns, I think they take him. And I say that because if he drops to them, that means that probably the guys that they were targeting and tackle at, the top, at that 10 spot are gone. Right. Meaning the teams in front of them, whether it's Arizona or, you know, or... I'm hearing, you know, don't don't be shocked if the Dolphins don't go to him, right? And and pick a tackle. So, what happens if that's all gone? If, if Simmons gets to the Browns, it, it means to your point that the tackle we want is almost assuredly gone, right? I think if that happens, you take Simmons and you take him because he's going to fit what Joe Woods wants to do which is a 4-3 base, but 70% of the time there's only two linebackers on the field. Mm-hmm. And Simmons is a guy that when you run your 4-3, he can be, he can play linebacker. And then when you bring in uh, an extra safety, which he likes to do, potentially three safeties, um, Simmons transitions right into that safety spot. Well, Simmons can cover the slot. Yes. Uh, a guy that can run a four three nine is it can be used like a Swiss Army knife. Now it's been said correctly, I think, in some of the analysis is that is the danger with him is that if you're a team that doesn't know how to use him and doesn't get into training camp with a primary role and start practicing in that role, you try to start moving him all over the place. You're not sure what to do. You could waste him and blow it. Right. So we have to hope that Stavansky and Woods, if they track, will know exactly how to use them. And I think they just got to look at what Clemson did last year, um, if you want to see how to use it. But I think if Simmons falls to the ground, it's because their tackle is going to take him. And to your point, um, you do move up in, back into that first round, um, the late first round, to find the tackle that fits your scheme. My understanding is, hearing through the grapevine, that the Browns are high on Ezra Cleveland out of Boise State. Uh-huh. That, to fit their scheme. And he's a guy that could probably be had in that 
late first round. And so if that ha- if they end up not getting a tackle at 10, they will 100%. The Browns are going to get a left tackle in the first two picks come hell or high water. Somehow. Right. They have to. They have to. Right. Um, and so, uh, although I will say there is a doomsday scenario where that doesn't happen, because you and I both know, look, it's, it's, it's all in play, and sometimes things just don't break your way the way you want them to. Right. Uh, and if that happens, I mean, they do at least still have Kendall Lamb on the on the roster. He can play left tackle. That's not ideal at all. But it's not like they have nobody that can play left tackle. Right. That's true. So uh, that so they they do have a you know worst case scenario sort of like well you know we can. Land could be our left tackle, and maybe we got to go back at it next year. Um, but that's not the way I think they want it to be. That's like option five, right? Right. Like, like, like uh-oh. Um, but uh, to your point, um, I, I think the Browns are going to go into this draft looking at with lots of lots of options as potential. And I think you hear a lot of the national pundits talk about, like, well, you know, because of the analytics, they're just going to trade down and acquire assets and picks. And I'm like, no, I don't think so. I don't. I don't think that that's. No one should assume that that's the game plan. Um, Barry has said repeatedly that it's about being aggressive, targeting guys we want, being whatever we got to do to be aggressive to get what we want. So if they're not getting what they want, because let's say they want Tristan Wirfs as tackle, and he's gone. Uh, although I will say I I have Andrew Thomas as your number one plug and play left tackle. Mm-hmm. And because you could, unlike some of these other guys who haven't played enough left tackle, uh, Thomas has played two years of left tackle at Georgia in the SEC and excelled. Right. You can put him at left tackle as a rookie and not be like, oh shit, we got to spend two years developing this guy. Right. Where Jedrick Wills has never played one minute of left tackle. He may be athletic. He may have been a good right tackle. But I'm sorry, you've never been in a left tackle spot ever and you think we're going to just start you day one at left tackle in the NFL? Yeah, not happening. Yikes. Yikes. I just, I don't I don't like the, maybe you end up having to draft him because the other guys you want are gone at 10 and you're not able to say trade down, because I think that's another thing the Browns will look to do. They'll weigh their options of who's available. Um, you know, let's say the tackle they want, and they say Simmons is gone, but the tackle they want, so the two tackles they targeted are also gone. Right. That's the more likely scenario to me, Rick, is that Simmons is gone, and the two guys they target, which I think are probably worse than Thomas, are gone. Now, what do they do at 10? Do they just take the next tackle on their board? I think Barry is more likely to try to trade down at that point um, and acquire uh, more picks, you know, he'll target somebody like Ezra Cleveland later, and then maybe, you know, having a couple extra picks, second, fourth round, whatever, by trading down, uh, allowing him to, um, you know, acquire more, more more depth on the defensive side of the ball. Um, so I, I think they're going to go into this with all their options open, be it, you know, standing pat, moving down, trading back into the first round, even if they stick with pick number 10, because, you know, what if Kinlaw's there, but your tackle's gone and Simmons is gone? Do you take Kinlaw? 
from your money, then you just say, well, okay. Or even this, this hasn't really been talked about. I think there's a, I think a guy that could slide more than Simmons could actually end up being Okuda. Because mm-hmm. if he gets past three, Okuda could drop. Right. Because that's not the primary need for most of those teams. Right. Even though the guy is, a, you know, so let me ask you this, Rick. For the Browns, the tackle that you want is off the board, and Okuda is sitting there. Uh, and Kinlaw is sitting there, you know. What do you do? I, I you think, take Okuda? Do you trade down? What would you do? I, I think what I probably do is the exact thing I would do if Simmons was there. Take him and then prepare to trade back up into the first round to get that left tackle later on. Because, again, it, you, have, you have to take advantage of the value if it drops to you there. Cornerback, not necessarily a huge position of need. But having said that, when you're talking about that with this, this defense and possibly three safeties, uh, we might be three safeties short of being able to run a three-safety defense. I mean, uh, maybe I'm being unkind there, but we definitely need help at safety, uh, and particularly if the defense is going to be that strong on it, uh, in, in, you know, as far as how it operates. By the way, and the thing with Simmons, uh, taking an athletic freak and not knowing what to do with him. What could go wrong with that? <coughs> Jabril Peppers. <coughs> so hopefully that doesn't repeat itself if he's there. <laughs> but I, I think, yeah, I think you take somebody in one of those spots, and, and if, it, if it is somebody, because, again, Akuda shouldn't go outside of the top five at this point. That That's what caliber talent he is. I don't think he makes it past Detroit. But, again, if he does, for anybody that slides, and again, if you have teams who are really valuing somebody's quarterbacks, that's what you could possibly see. Having said that, there's not necessarily a ton of teams that need quarterbacks, uh, but uh, for, for the ones that do, it's looking like this uh, draft class, especially post-combine, is looking to be better in terms of quarterback depth uh, than people had perhaps thought. So, yeah, I would take those guys uh, if they are there, uh, because again, and like I said, on the Akuda thing, at the very least, maybe you're moving one of your existing cornerbacks to safety and helping fill some spots there. Well, I, I think to your point here, I do, I'm with you. My general philosophy on this draft for the Browns would be um, to uh, draft the best that you can get at 10 and then move back up into the late first round Right. from, 40, from 41 to get your tackle. If your tackle's not available at 10, um, it would be great if you get the tackle you want at 10, and then 41 is there to play with to potentially even move up, you know, the top of the second to maybe get, a, you know, the safety that you covet. Yeah. Or, uh, or maybe the linebacker you covet. Um, that would be the better scenario. Uh, but I, I'm with you. If that doesn't, if you don't get the tackle you want at 10, you have to be prepared to take. Uh, even if it's a guy like Okuda, and you think, well, that's not really a need. Well, let me tell you, having um, stud cornerbacks in, the, in a man-to-man cover defense, um, is you can never, you know, that's not going to hurt you ever in a pass-happy league. So, um, you know, okay, maybe that's not the ideal, but my God, you're getting an excellent player. You're getting a top-five player. Yes. So you, you throw that card in immediately, and they go into your scenarios of, okay, how do we address the tackle position? My hope is that um, Werfs or Thomas is there at 10, and they're able to get one of those guys. And I say Werfs because his athleticism fits the scheme, the blocking scheme. Yes. And I, I think that from that standpoint, he's a fit, and I think 
Thomas is a fit because he's locked in a similar scheme in college. Two years starting and excelling in the SEC is, is about as good a you know preparation as you can have for plug and play in the NFL. Um, just why I favor those guys. Becton, I worry about um, honestly, but my concern with Becton is how he re- how he works with Baker. Mm-hmm. I worry that Becton is too much of a mountain of a man that becomes a problem for Baker in terms of seeing the field. Um, yeah. In terms of in and not only seeing the field, but also um, not recognizing pressure that if somebody beats Becton. Because Beckton is so large that, and this is going to sound so strange, is he so large that he hides that the defender has beaten him until Baker doesn't realize it? Does that make any sense? Yes, yes. That, 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 that I think that Beckton is almost too big for a short quarterback, and I would shy away from that. Plus, I also worry about guys that are already that large and their weight going forward. Like, I just, I, you know, his weight is just always going to be this concern. Um, so I, to me, it's it's Thomas and Worfs. They're kind of interchangeable to me for different reasons. Right. Um, I'm fine with either one. And um, and then you go down and you drop in in that second round and you try to address your safety and your linebacker positions there. I, I, I tell you what, in terms of linebackers, I, I, guys that could be there in the second round, and I will say this, I don't think there are any first-round safeties. Uh, looking at all these safeties, uh, they all have holes. Right? Some people have talked about Xavier McKinney. Well, that's great, except for the guy the guy can't cover anything. Right. Like, I wouldn't want that guy as safety. Right. Um, Browns fans are obsessed with Winfield, Winfield Jr., but um, you know, I think that's just because his dad played at Ohio State. Right. Um, he's a good safety, but man, is he small. He's going to get, he makes some great ball hawk moves, but then he gets burned a lot. Right. Guys, and I'd be like, boy, let's grab him. Um, I like Ashton Davis out of Cal. I think he could be a really good fit at, at free safety. Right. For us. Um, so I think that, you know, don't be surprised if safety is the spot we go to. Let's assume we stay at 41. We may go at linebacker. And there's guys like Akeem Davis Gaither at Appalachian State. Um, Zach Bond from Wisconsin, if he's still there, um, which I don't think he will be. He feels to me like a Steelers type of draft pick. Yes. Um, but and not that they'll pick him because where they're drafting. But um, you've got guys like Malik Harrison, who's serviceable. Logan Wilson out of Wyoming, who's just like a tackling machine. Uh, and a guy that, again, this is where this new regime, we don't know how they, we think they value character, so that he may be off the board. But Willie Gay Jr. out of Mississippi State mm-hmm. is, I think, you know, the, the closest thing to Isaiah Simmons um, that we're going to find in this and could be available at 41. Right. Um, and I, if they grab Willie Gay Jr., and, and my hope is that he is, you know, cleaned up his act and he's not a problem, uh, a character problem, and they've vetted him. If, he, if they feel comfortable with him, grabbing him at 41, I think, yeah, I think so. I would like to see that uh, because, again, that's the kind of athleticism that you need to inject into this defense, and uh, which is, again, badly in need of it in some areas, and hopefully that they can uh, use this draft to be able to replenish in those areas as well as uh, getting better 
on the offensive line, which remains the critical need. And uh, again, just uh, kind of ballparking it as far as where it stands right now. Early, early guess for the season if you have it. I'm, I'm saying right now I would expect probably right about 8-8 eight and because eight, uh, I think to, to expect at least uh, a slight improvement on the record from last year seems uh, legitimate. Uh, and then again, 8-8, eight and eight, if that's what you're thinking going in, particularly with the expanded playoffs here, seven seeds in the AFC, the goal ought to be going into the season to snag one of those spots. I'm not saying I'll be devastated if they don't, but I think uh, an expectation of 8-8 eight and eight with the chance to hope for a little bit better and to make it in somehow, uh, that's what I would like to see vis-a-vis -vis expectations. What say you? Well, as you know, last year um, I was not a carry-away Browns fan expecting 11-5 and five and, you know, and all the rest of that. Um, I predicted 9-7. Mm -hmm. So I felt like I my prediction was, you know, reasonable based on what we had seen at the end of 18. Right. going into 19 based on the talent level. Um, and that would, of course, put them into the playoffs. Um, I'm going to stick with 9-7 and seven, um, and, and a wild card this year. Uh, mm -hmm. Obviously, because of the expanded wild card, I think 9-7 and seven, you know, gets you into the playoffs. Uh, and I'm going to say 9-7 and seven is going to feel a little bit like underachieving uh, because of the roster. But um, new coaching staff, it takes time to adjust. Uh, new play calling. You know, new players learning to play together. It, you just the expectation of somehow, you know, of the roster translating to, into some improved, you know, record uh, beyond that. I think might be just too much of an ask, especially given what's going on in the world right now and how we don't know how these coaches are going to be able to work with these players um, in implementing their schemes and getting time with them and coaching them. We just don't know how that's going to play out. I'm assuming we're going to have a season. I'm assuming the off-season is going to be compressed, so there'll be less time gaps between, you know, rookies and OTAs and all the rest of the stuff. They're going to sort of smash it together a little bit more into training camp. They'll still get the full regimen, but it's going to be more compressed, less time with the playbook. I think that'll affect teams like the Browns earlier in the season. But I do see... Uh, with the anticipated schedule, which we haven't had the schedule revealed yet, but just based on who we're playing and where we think we'll be playing, I think 9-7 and seven is, again, reasonable. Um, I don't think that asking for the playoffs with this roster is, a, is, is too much to ask because this team has a ton of talent, and um, it has holes, yes, um, but, I mean, every team has holes somewhere. Yes. Uh, that comes back to coaching and how you – how you cover those holes. Um, assuming we still left tackle successfully, this offense is going to be able to put up points. It should be dangerous. It should be able to hang with anybody in the NFL, period. That's right. Period. That's right. So as long as the defense is serviceable in terms of some of these stopgap signings, in terms of Kevin Johnson, Carl Joseph, I like the uh, Claiborne signing, by the way, mm -hmm. um, having some of these you know, and then drafting for depth in the draft on the defensive side, which I think is what they'll primarily do. Uh, I think that the defense should be serviceable, and there's no reason this team cannot achieve nine and seven and and into the playoffs under the new format. Just to me, there's just there's no excuses. Despite 
challenges of a new staff, a new system, and the crazy offseason, I do think that this staff is smart enough. Um, you know, all these teams worried about the draft because, oh, we're going to have to be in our homes on a computer. Now the problem for the Browns when your GM got a master's degree in science <laughs> from Harvard. Right. I actually think for once things are lining up to our very point, the very beginning of this whole conversation. I think that something has turned for the Browns. Even though 2020 may be the worst year for everybody else in the world, I think 2020 is going to be proved to be a great year for the Cleveland Browns. Because I think organizationally they are finally where they need to be. And I think the technology thing is a great example. We have a young, dynamic, smart coach that embraces technology. We have um, an analytics-driven front office. We have a GM that they got a master's degree in computer science. We're not going to have any disadvantages there. So I think look for this, these guys potentially to, to feast in the draft um, in this scenario. I think it all translates to about nine and seven, maybe ten and six if things go your way and these and this, these players adapt to the system and the coaching quicker. I would agree. I think that that is very much possible. And by the way, for the people who want to look back and scoff at predictions from last year, I said 10 and 6. Well, okay. The Browns lost to a guy named Duck, a quarterback. They lost to the third string quarterback in Denver. I could go down the line here. The games that they kicked away that they shouldn't have kicked away, boom, they'd have been a 10 and 6. With any kind of competent coaching, I would have been right. So, well, I think you would have been. They should have beaten Seattle. They should have beaten L.A. Yeah, boom, they boom. They should have beaten the Steelers the second time around. Right. Um, they, they gave away so many games uh, due to incompetent coaching. Yes. That you could easily make the argument. Ricky, you come out to me and not, and I think you're a little gun shy when you're going to eat me. Mm-hmm. I think there's part of you that really wants to say 10 and 6. Because you look at the roster and you say, if there was competent coaching, there's no reason they shouldn't. Right. But, just no reason whatsoever. Well, last year, and I said this, it was the first season I was looking forward to as a Browns fan since 1990, which, again, we know what happened then. That was the beginning of, of basically the end of all things Cleveland Browns. Uh, I, I've always felt 94 was a fluke. I don't have any hope that uh, had the team stayed in town that they would have uh, really done much of anything. And uh, we saw how that went. So, yeah, so I guess I'm more just back in my usual kind of, although my usual thing prior to last year would have been saying 4-12 and 12 or something like that. So 8-8 eight and eight actually constitutes optimism for me by my usual standards as a Browns fan. Well, because it, it, it does. It does. Yeah, because the roster's talented. I agree with you. I'm saying I, the only reason I'm not saying anything short of 8-8 eight and eight is because I agree with you about the immense talent in a lot of areas on this roster. It cannot be overlooked. Much talent here. Um, the reality is, for probably the first time since the Browns have returned, probably since 1990, um, this team is set up to succeed. You have a coach and in this coaching staff that have been set up to succeed in terms of talent on the roster, available future uh, cap space, um, a GM who's willing to go out and do what he's got to do to find talent that fits the system. Um, Kevin Stefanski is being given, frankly, an opportunity um, that I don't recall, at least since 99, no other coach has been given in terms of the cupboard not being there and not having dysfunction. Um, everything is set up for Kevin Stefanski to succeed. And um, this is, you know, he's a rookie 
um, that's been afforded a head coach uh, with this franchise in, in over 30 years. And so um, my hope is he takes advantage of it and gets us into the playoffs and we have something to look forward to. Absolutely. And, and again, we, we could use something to look forward to as Browns fans, uh, first and foremost as Browns fans, but also uh, the overall state of the world as we sit here. We'll be getting into that further as we get further into our NFL Draft series. I know uh, me, you, and Jason Jones have got to do our usual actual NFL Draft preview and review, so we'll have that coming up in the very near future here. So all that to look forward to, but uh, always great breaking it down with you, my man. Thank you so much, Chris Galloway, for being a part of this great conversation here today. Go Browns. Go Browns. Thanks, Chris. Take care, and uh, thank you, everybody, for joining us for this mini-episode of the FDH Lounge.